Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Kirsten Hines. I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. We're going to find out how one woman went the distance to get the title of best daughter-in-law in the world. And we're going to talk about authentic pride and why you should be proud of yourself. Lots going on here on the Gifted Life. Here we go. Here on the Gifted Life podcast, we are so excited to share this story with you, which um, was unfolding kind of in our own backyard here in Louisiana uh, with LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. And um, this story kind of fell into our lap and we thought, man, more people need to hear this story. Right, Kirsten? Yeah, Lori, we were so uh, lucky. Actually, Kathleen Jebia uh, emailed us to share a story uh, her story and to share um, the important role that her daughter-in-law has played in her life, Miss Sage Kronk Jebia, which and got so our attention it, right up front, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. So, uh, Kathleen, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet all of you. So, Kathleen, um, I was so excited when when your uh, email came through, but one of the things that jumped out at me right away is um, in your story you shared that you basically found out you had kidney disease and needed a transplant, it sounds like almost in the same visit. Yes, just about. Yes. So no so symptoms how, how or anything? Happen? Yeah, we're like, what is happening? No, no. Well, I'll, I'll tell you um, what occurred. About mid-year of 2018, I had my regular visit with the internist, the an annual doctor's appointment. And she said, you know, um, your kidney functions are about 20%. I want you to see the nephrologist. So I said, okay. So I um, wasn't able to see him until November of 2018. And he says, um, when I walk in and he introduces himself, um, and let me first say, I work for LSU Health Sciences Center and these physicians are all with LSU Health Sciences Center. (laughs) So um, he looks at me and he says, "Um, you're dying and I need to figure out what's going on with you. And I looked at him like he had five heads. And I was like, wow. I, Hard to no, hear. I'm not. I feel fine. I, you know, there's nothing going on. So when, um, after he tells me that, and I'm thinking he's just wrong, somebody made an error, um, he informs me that the blood work that was done before I met him, the kidney function was now at 10%. And he says, um, you're, you're pale. And I said, no, really, because I've been fair all my life. He goes, no, you're pale. And I said, okay. So he then says, are you tired? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm tired. Now, let me let you know, he's also my husband's physician. <laughs> and he knows my husband well. And I said, I'm over 60. I work full time. And I'm taking care of my husband, who was at that point, maybe about four or five years into Louis body's dementia. So I was like, yes, I'm tired, you know, cause it's, you know, there's a lot going on. And he goes, no, that's not why you're tired. He said, I'm scheduling you for a biopsy. 
I said, okay. So we did a biopsy in early December of 2018. And then I got a call at the end of December and he said, your kidney function is now at 7% and we are going to have you scheduled January 2nd to get peritoneal dialysis, um, have the peritoneal catheter put in. Um, now, even before that point, with that first visit, he said, you have to go on dialysis. You have to go on steroids. You and I said, no, 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 I can't do dialysis because I'm caring for my husband. And um, he said, well, we have to do something. And my internist is the one who suggested to him for the peritoneal. So January 2nd, I had the catheter put in place. And at the end of January, started dialysis um, and did dialysis until August when we were um, able to um, go ahead with the transplant. Um, Sage finally, you know, got through all of those testings. <laughs> um, okay, so wait, let's, let's back up for a second. Um, okay. So you, you've started dialysis in January of 2019. And um, did they, at, when when you started dialysis, did they tell you that, talk to you about the possibility of, of transplantation or how did that conversation start? I, yes, the physician um, that was with the clinic, the dialysis clinic, had said that um, you, you know, do have a chance of having a transplant, a kidney transplant done. Um, do you know? Do you want to be put on the list and such? And there was a wait period, but not very long, um, when I did get listed, and um, he had asked if I had known anybody that would donate. And at that time, I had just informed the people at work what was going on. And uh, two co-workers came forward at that time and volunteered. And then a third worker came on and volunteered. Um, the first two um, didn't make, the, but one of the two didn't even get past the initial match. But the first one that was tested happened to be young lady that was working for me and she was adamant that she was going to be the one to donate uh well although she passed everything until they got to the cat scan and on her cat scan they found she had too many arteries to her kidney unlike the rest of us who have only two <laughs> so it would put her at risk and the kidney at risk so she could not donate um so then um we ha I had family members that also had volunteered, and Sage was one of those. And she was the third person to go through the testing process. And she passed all the way through. Um, no, no instances <laughs> that came up. And everything matched beautifully. And it went well. The um, transplant took place the August 12th of this year. Wow. Wow. So... And in your letter to us, you did share that Sage um, lives in San Diego. Yes. Correct? Yes, they live so in San Diego. Sage, yes. if we could bring you in now. Hi. Hello. Hey. <laughs> what did you have to do? What was the, the testing process like for you? So what happened was I remember um, we were, so we previously lived, it was when we were still out here in, in San Diego, and we lived, and we were home visiting in New Orleans for must have been Christmas. And Miss Kathleen yeah. had come home and said, 
we're like, yeah, what's going on at the doctor? Like, cause the same thing, it was all a shock. And we were like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she came home and said, my doctor said I either have to go on dialysis or get a kidney transplant. And I said, oh, and we all kind of like took it in. And I said, cool, I'll get tested, right? Well, I'll just go get tested and see who's the match. I don't think it's okay, wait, even wait, wait. occurred. So immediately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, do you work? Do you have kids? Like, how are you just like, yes. this is what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. You both mm-hmm. feet front. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I'm a, I'm a special ed teacher. And um, I have two small children. They're now six and eight. Um, but it wasn't a question. Um, it was, she says, I need a, a kidney transplant. Cool. Let's see who's the match. Who's going to do it? It wasn't. <laughs> I don't even, I did, wasn't, it didn't even occur to me to think about it as major surgery. It didn't occur to me to think, oh, this, you know, could affect my health in any way. That wasn't, that, I don't know. It was just, it was an easy, easy decision for me. Okay. My mother-in-law needs a kidney. Um, Getting a transplant would, um, you know, enhance her life so much more and being on dialysis, especially with my father-in-law and her caring for him. It's no brainer. Yep. Right. Well, we'll get tested. Right. Well, it will save her life, you know, not just enhance yeah. it, but life saving. Well, and did you yeah. did you have any thoughts when you were, you know, offering to get tested? Well, you know, I'm not a blood relative, so I'm probably not a match. Were you surprised that you were a better match than your wife, Alana, since you're not a blood relative? The funny thing is, is that it didn't even cross my mind. Like, I didn't know what went into it. I um, my cousin's wife her nephew um, needed a heart transplant um, quite a few years ago. And so she had posted a lot about donation. And so it just kind of one of those things where it's in the back of your head. Oh, cool. And she posted a lot about, you know, be the match, go in and, you know, see if you could ever be an organ donor, whatever. And I was like, oh, I should go do that. And I would sign up on the be the match, but it'd be on my phone and it wouldn't work. And there was something that wouldn't go through. And I just never managed to completely submit all my information or they needed a lot of info. And I was like, I don't have time, you know, to do this without the need. Um, and then this happened and there was a need, but like Ms. Kathleen shared, her coworkers stepped up and they're in Louisiana. So they're right there in New Orleans with her. So why yes. wouldn't, you know, great. Okay. We'll go for it. And if it's one of them, then that's wonderful. Um, but when we found out that the second coworker um, wasn't a match or, you know, had made it all the way to the end and then wasn't, I was like, oh, okay, well, it, then I, I, we need to go get tested. I need to go get tested. So um, I made the phone call to the coordinator at Tulane and, and my wife did as well. So we both, because I'm not a blood relative, so we're like, okay, let's see. So we both made the phone call. Um, I went forward with the initial match. Um, partially because of the kidney disease and that it was so sudden and not knowing if it's hereditary or not hereditary, um, it may be, you know, for a child not to do it or, you know, a blood relative. So um, I started with the match process and then life kind of, you know, I was, apparently they're not allowed to call you and be like, hey, you still need to do X, Y, and Z. I didn't know that. Oh, really? So I'm waiting for people to remind me of things because um, they can't. It can't seem like they're um, off, like Pushing encouraging you, you to it. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like you said, you know, life's busy. Um, I do have two small children, and I teach. And um, 
so those kind of things were in the way. And then I was like, oh, wait, is there something else that I need to do? So I emailed the coordinator and got all the paperwork again. And um, I managed to go out. And we, so I had to fly out to um, New Orleans to do the full day of testing. They could not do the testing with me here in San Diego. So I took a quick trip out to New Orleans. And interestingly enough, it was the weekend before everything shut down for COVID. Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, we, goodness. It was. We were at the hospital on that Monday. And then on Tuesday, before I flew home, Louisiana had their first um, positive COVID case. Um, and so everything got put on hold with the shutdown. There's just a couple more things that I needed to do. I passed all of those tests. I had just a couple more. Um, and so then that's why it ended up getting pushed out a little bit further. I managed to get through the rest of the school year doing distance learning. <laughs> um, and then we finished our testing in July. Um, everything came back. They took me to team and the team said, yep, yeah, she's, you get to go, you get to do this. And I said, when is your next available um, appointment? Because I'm a teacher and I need to be ready for the beginning of the school year. Oh, that's right. August. Yes. <laughs> wow. So Kathleen, walk us through. So you had two coworkers who end up not being a match and then your daughter-in-law steps forward and gets all the way through the testing. Walk us through getting having three people step forward for you and go through the maybe, but no, and now you have a match and it's your daughter-in-law. Walk us through where you were at mentally through this process. Oh, mentally, I was at just a basket case, actually. Um, but no one would have known that because I keep everything contained. <laughs> but um, first, before I go to that point, um, when they did the biopsy in December, the end result of that was it's a rare kidney disease. And at that time, there was only 150 cases known. So that took a hit to the mental ability to grasp everything that's going on when you're not feeling poorly, because I never felt ill. So then when um, Sage volunteered, I was, um, first off, I was taken aback because I never expected um, Sage to do something like this. Not that she, I didn't think she was the person to do it. It's just that they're in San Diego. <laughs> I'm, I'm the in-law, you know, and it's like, what are the chances of her matching? And then my thought process went to, they have two small daughters. I don't want something to happen to her because they have the girls to raise. So I did question quite a few times to my daughter, are you sure this is what y'all want to do? <laughs> you know, and she's, she's okay with doing this because I really felt um, so strongly for nothing to go wrong that she wouldn't be here for her children. Um, and that took probably the heaviest toll on me is that the and I discussed this also with my nephrologist with the dialysis clinic. I did not want somebody to have to go through surgery, major surgery, just for me. Yeah, I would, um, during that time, I was okay with the idea that I would receive an organ from a deceased donor. Um, but from a living donor, 
really weighed on me because I just I really did not want to have somebody risk them, themselves um, for me. You know, I, I thought that, um, especially with Sage having the two daughters, you know, that they were young and they need to be here. You know, they need to have their mother for a very long time. <laughs> so um, that was a difficult time for me um, to just go ahead and accept that this was such a wonderful gift um, and not to look at it in the, the way that I was looking at it, that, that she was putting herself at risk, um, that she truly was showing the depth of her love and generosity. And I would not, it would not be right for me to take that away from her. I love the love in this family. And Sage, I'm going to go back to you. On the day you became the best daughter-in-law in the world <laughs> of the year. <laughs> so I'm here. I have young children work. Um, tell us about your life, the donation, um, time for recovery, how you are now. Like, uh, So you, you went through with this. You follow through. Uh, what a gift. Um, but what impact did that have on you as a wife, mom, uh, employee? Um, so like I mentioned, I, I told them, look, I need to start the school year at the end of August. Um, we knew we were starting the school year on, online. So that gave me a little more, um, freedom. And I, um, so we had the donation done in Louisiana. I flew out there and then my wife came with me so that she could care for all of us. Um, I was only in the hospital for one day and, um, and out the next day and home resting at my in-laws and we stayed for a week. So I did not have to care for my children for a week. They were here in San Diego with my mom, um, which made a world of difference because I was tired, you know, like you would be <laughs> after major surgery. <laughs> right. Um, I would think, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I wouldn't have been able to really care for them. I mean, they're six and eight, they can somewhat care for themselves, but um, the, the constant needing me or something, I could just rest and not worry about them. Um, I was up and moving around. And by the time I flew home a week after the transplant, I was feeling pretty good. Um, I kind of crazy. There's um, a living donor Facebook page and I met four women um, or three other women who were also donating. Um, one was donating to her uncle, one was donating to her husband and one was a um, non-directed donor. And we all were um, different places and just happened to be donating on the same day. So we call each other our oh, donor mates. Um, that's um, cool. And so we, I had their support and we would message each other. How are you feeling today? Um, you know, are you tired? What's your energy level? Did you get to sleep last night? Have you found any tricks that work um, for sleeping comfortably in your bed? So I had a big support there with them. But it was mostly once the incisions were healing up and um, I also teach, um, I'm a fitness instructor, so I couldn't teach um, jazzercise for a while and now I've been getting, getting back into it. So I really just had to take um, two months off from doing my fitness instruction and I actually started back teaching two weeks after my donation. But like I said, it was online. <laughs> <laughs> Sage is a powerhouse. 
is it this is like a good plug for jazzercise i have a feeling i mean if you're an instructor <laughs> you can give a kidney and be out of the hospital in a day yeah <laughs> yes go jazzercise exactly <laughs> um, yeah being fit does help <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask kathleen how are you after um your transplant I'm actually I'm doing quite well. The only I complaint I have, and I really hate the fact that I'm going to complain, um, are the um, side effects from the medicine. But other than that, everything really went so well. Um, even the surgeon has been just totally blown away that we have not had any issues, but either one of us. Um, and it's just now where the medicines are starting to have a little bit more um, aggravation <laughs> with the side effects you know, that um, come with them. So uh, once I'm praying that as they decrease some of this medicine, that those side effects would go away. But for the most part, it really has gone well. I had started walking a mile a day so that I could try to get stamina back. Um, and I do, you know, everything in the home. Um, so I have not been limited once I got over the actual surgical <laughs> process. Um, that was, uh, it took a little while longer because the incision was much larger than I had expected it to be. Um, so it was um, just, you know, the muscles and all. And in fact, they did. They removed the catheter at the same time, so that that was another surgical area. They repaired uh, a hernia that was caused from the when they put the catheter in. So it was three processes that they did when they did my transplant. So the abdominal muscles were not happy. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, but once so you're going to have to that, work up to job size. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, start to exercise now, so that way you're fit before going in. So it makes it real easy, like Sage did. So it really was not a bad process once you get past that surgical stuff with the abdominal muscles. You know, that's, that's uncomfortable. But um, everything really did go so well. I'm in shock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that it, I hadn't had any issues um, with it at all. I just, what I can tell you though, kidney, Sage's kidney is not small. <laughs> <laughs> that was a surprise as well. Um, and I, one of the things I told the surgeon is I wasn't expected to feel it internally and externally, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, those yeah, jazzercise kidneys, kind of man. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Sage, we um, we had just done a, a podcast about um, living donation and, and and those kinds of things, and so uh, we were talking about social media. People may post uh, that they're looking for someone who um, who could help, and so, or signs on a fence or signs on a car. So advice to those who may be hearing this, saying, oh, "I was thinking about it, but I haven't taken that jump." Like, what advice would you give? It sounds like your your side was pretty smooth and um, and easy um, from what you're, you're telling us, but um, tell us your advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, um, I think being in shape did definitely help, you know, recovery and I was healthy. And so that was the other bonus to getting all the assessments and all the testing done is that they took my, you know, my 
vials and vials of blood and we, you know, had to do the CT scan and all those kinds of things. And it came out, yep, you're healthy because you can't be a living donor unless you're healthy. They won't do the surgery um, if it's going to put you at risk. Um, Now, with all surgeries, there is, you know, um, the the risk that that comes in with that. But, um, you know, if you see somebody's sign and it just speaks to you, reach out to them because a lot of times people are on the um, the list to receive um, a, an organ for many, many years. And the quality of life just, you know, it just can change so much and you save a life. And it's, I know that you say that, right? Like, oh, like you guys mentioned, like you saved a life. I don't even see it as that. I had two. I only need one half of one really to be a healthy <laughs> functioning adult look, go ahead, take it out. I don't notice that it's gone. I don't feel that it's gone. I did have some trouble, um, not sleeping, but the way that I could lay in bed, but I just stuck pillows around me and I'm super comfortable. Things things that you can manage easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and my wife stepped up. My mom came over and helped take care of the girls. They weren't little, so I didn't have to worry about trying to pick them up or do anything like that. Um, they were a little bit older. So those kind of things, you know, there is some risk because it's, it's surgery, but um, the recovery was super easy in and out in a day. Like Miss Kathleen said, walking also helped um, and just building back up that stamina. Yeah, I've been tired of those kind of things, but um, you really don't notice that I had it. I have a couple extra um, scars on my stomach that I didn't have before. And other than that, I wouldn't even know that I donated a kidney a couple months back. Wow. And so who connects okay. you guys? Um, I wanted to add to Sage's story. She had learned of somebody else who needed a kidney, and she said, well, you know, if I had another one, I would do it. (laughs) She was ready to jump in again. So um, I'm thinking she may need therapy now. (laughs) (laughs) It it was an an easier process um, than expected. And, you know, like I said, they do all of the testing. So just saying that you want to just see if you were a match, that's step one of, you know, eight. So even just taking that step, you don't ever have to say, even if you, even if we got all the way, you know, to the end and I was a match and we had our surgery scheduled, as the donor at any point, if I felt uncomfortable or decided I didn't want to go through with it, you simply let them know that you've changed your mind and they stop everything. You always, you never have to feel like I'm stuck doing this or, you know, I feel like I'm in an awkward position. It's, it, I was never made to feel like it was something that was owed or that I had, you know, gotten it so far that I had to do it. Um, so even, like I said, just even seeing if you're the match first, just taking that first step, that is, is somewhere to go and then ask questions. So Kathleen and Sage, it sounded like you guys were close already. And what yeah, I believe so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so we've gone through all of this, this journey. So, what is the relationship like now? I can't stand her, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we were suspicious. She, Not all mother-in-laws <laughs> and daughter-in-laws. <laughs> you should see the scar she made me get. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's my angel. She is just, she's my angel. Um, There isn't any other way to put it. She um, has definitely extended my lifespan. 
um, because without the transplant, I, you know, I was informed that I may have seven years on dialysis and that might be all the body could handle because the kidneys just were not doing what they should be doing. So she has been a gift from God. You often wonder um, why certain people come into your life, you know, because as we know, going through life, you have people coming in and out all the time and you just never really know why some people have passed through. And, you know, it came to, you know, a, a big bolt of lightning to me that this is exactly why Sage is in my life. She was going to be the one to save me. So she she is definitely my angel. Um, she has given me the gift of life. And you can't ever um, say anything negative about someone who is willing to make such a sacrifice for another person. I'd also like to add that Dr. Paramesh's team is absolutely outstanding. They are a group of people who are truly loving, caring, as well as exceptional at what they do. So our experience, I believe, has been so good because of them. They're just a positive group, um, just very caring individuals. And that goes across the board. It's the surgeon, the rest of his medical staff, the social workers, the nurses, the different coordinators, because you have a bunch of different coordinators. Um, it's hard to keep them all in line, you know, who's who. Yeah. Um, but the team, I think, also made it much more comfortable for Sage and I and the process easier. It, I hate to use the word pleasant for surgical <laughs> procedures, but, but I don't know of another word that I could share with you that would help to explain that it, it wasn't a terrible experience. It was somewhat pleasant um, because of how well they treated us and how well they did their job. Wow. Nice. Well, that was high praise. We'll have to be sure to pass uh, that yeah. on. And Sage, just final thoughts from you. Um, obviously, kind words from your mother-in-law, but she also wrote to us, Sage will be my angel, my hero forever. What a great lesson for her girls. Uh, extremely generous, selfless, loving. Um, it's, it's hard um, for me to take all that in because I don't feel like I did anything out of the ordinary. Um, my mother-in-law, she's my, my kid's grandma. Like they, you know, they're, they're Nana. She love, they love her. She loved them. Um, I want her to be around for them. Um, so it was, it no brainer. It was, um, not a question that I was going to do it. So, um, when she gives me that praise, it's very hard to take in because I wanted just to be normal. Cool. No, not in here for longer. Great job. Well, y'all, y'all need to know as well. Sage is, has a natural gift of giving. She worked as um, with the Peace Corps for a while as well. So that tells you the kind of individual she is to, you know, to do Peace Corps work and then now in her life to step forward and provide a life-giving organ to someone. It just gives you a better picture of the person she is. Yeah, well, and I have to say, Sage, um, I have three aunts that are special ed teachers. So just the, your profession, I know that you have to have uh, a really big heart. 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> Great story, guys. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being honest with us here and, and walking us through the process and your journey. And Kathleen, I'm glad that you wrote to us. Thank you for the story. Oh, you're, you're welcome. I didn't expect this. I can tell you, I was thinking the next time I heard from y'all, it would be a picture of Sage. Um, so, <laughs> when you mentioned podcast, I was like, what? <laughs> thank <laughs> so, you no, both. Thank y'all. And I hope it does stimulate some people to just, even if they don't want to donate at this time, that at least they get it noted on their license that they are a donor um, so that they can donate at that time if they have some second thoughts or are afraid of doing it as a living donor. Just go ahead and save someone else's life if you're physically able to. You know, it is such a gift um, and it's one that you can never repay. How, how do you repay someone who's giving you the gift of life? You know, it's like, how do I pay God? You know, it doesn't work that way. You just pray and be thankful that you have wonderful people in your life. I think that's the best thing, the best advice. And thank you for encouraging others to uh, consider, you know, starting by registering as a donor. And that's why we started this podcast so that we can share, we can learn, we can be comfortable with these topics. Um, But if we did inspire you to register as an organ, tissue and eye donor, you can do that now registerme.org. We're taking a moment for mental health here on the Gift of Life podcast. What are we going to be talking about today, Sarah? So today we're going to be talking about authentic pride. Ooh, number one, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) So I can't be the only one that's felt proud of myself, but been really hesitant to voice it or to tell people how proud I am. Right, right, right. Right? I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is something that, you know, it really hit home for me because I personally if somebody says they're proud of me or says I'm doing a good job, I like to downplay it a lot. Yes. And so then I started to think, well, am I doing that internally? Mm-hmm. If I've accomplished something that I'm proud of, am I downplaying it internally to myself? And mm-hmm. how harmful is that? Mm-hmm. So um, I found out that, yes, I actually do do that. <laughs> um, don't you think that's a little cultural, like I, that we're kind of taught to not br- like it's it, is bragging or, you yes. know, that's a bad thing. Well, I think, too, like in our culture in America, like we're very driven and motivated for like financial success or career success. And there's always somewhere up to go. You've never right. really peaked. So I think for us, it's hard to sit back and appreciate what we have accomplished. And because we're always expected what's next. Mm-hmm. In our culture, we ask a lot. So what's next? What yeah. are you going for next? Yeah, right. What are you mm-hmm. doing that for instead of just enjoying that you did something? Mm-hmm. So essentially, that's what authentic pride is. It's being proud of yourself for something that you actually accomplished and just sitting with it. So we have a, a friend in common, Sweet Nyla of Lopez Family Services. Mm-hmm. And one afternoon, and it's very clear, and I keep replaying it. And um, so she'll give you a compliment or something. And I'm like, oh, well... 
oh, I just, it was on sale, you know, or something like that. And she right. says, okay, so whenever somebody tells you that, you say thank you. You just say thank you. You I accept know. it yeah. and you're great. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to learn that, right? Right. And I've, I've definitely had to learn that for myself. And, you know, once I started to just say thank you or yes, that was difficult. I'm glad I got through it. You know, it opens up a conversation. It's not, you're not shutting someone down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So don't shut yourself down. When yeah. you accomplish something, when you know what your capabilities are, f- be okay with it. Be proud of yourself. And it's okay to feel that authentic sense of accomplishment because we live in a hard enough world. Let's yeah. not be so hard on ourselves. Don't right? dim your light for others. So when you are okay voicing your own pride in yourself, um, it opens up a conversation uh, and it makes other people feel more comfortable also sharing their accomplishments. And that's what it's all about, right? When you work so hard at something, you accomplish something, like you should be proud of yourself and you should allow others to be proud too. I guess I just have those safe people that I know like she's genuinely going to be happy for me. So I am totally telling her or my husband, you know, like, yes, you know, you're going to get that uh, that uh, feedback that you want. Yeah. So are you genuinely happy for yourself, though, when you accomplish something every day? Good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. And I think that's what this is all about. You know, if we're proud of other people, why can't we be proud of ourselves? So give yourself the same courtesy that you give to your loved ones for yourself when you accomplish something. Kirsten, great job jumping on the podcast last minute. That's right. (laughs) You're awesome. Uh, Thank you. See? <laughs> but it is hard, right? Like, it's kind of awkward. Like, yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, that's my job, of course. <laughs> it is. But, I mean, you know, change only happens one person at a time. So if you take that step to be proud of yourself in an authentic way, then other people will also feel comfortable to do the same. Authentic pride. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I like it. Good job, Sarah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have a topic you want Sarah to cover. Email us, info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, how do I find a living donor if no one in my family is able? Kirsten? Lori, that's a great question. And actually, we talked about some of the ways that you can um, share your story on our last episode with the National Kidney Foundation. That's right. Episode 152. And um, they gave some great tips about how you can share it with your, your church, with maybe some social groups you're involved in. And you can even use social media. But the most important part is sharing your story so people know that you do need a donor. Yep, that's a very good question. Um, If you have any questions for us, go ahead and give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Jerry Prine. And we learn about Jerry from his family. Jerry Prine was one of a kind. He was a loving husband, father, grandfather, and brother. He was a friend to everyone he met and never forgot a name or how he met you. Dubbed PJP, paramedic Jerry Prine, years ago just stuck. He was always there to help those who needed it, whether it was a much-needed shoulder and a hug, a good cup of coffee, or an ear to let you vent, scream, or let out a good cry. 
He was the love of my life. He pulled me through bad times and was there to help celebrate the great ones. We shared and did so many things during our 26 years together and had plans for so many more. Jerry was a true patriot. He loved serving his country and never let a flag go by without saluting. Jerry loved his job as a paramedic with Acadian. He looked forward to being the one to help those in need. Even in death, Jerry wanted to help others. As an organ donor, he was able to help others. Jerry was known at work for his numerous quotes that folks called Jerryisms. Many were quotes from famous people, movies, or just his life rules. Some include, don't practice until you get it right, practice until you can't get it wrong, backbone beats wishbone every time, and finally a quote from George S. Patton, it is foolish and wrong to mourn the men who died. Rather, we should thank God that such men lived. And you can learn more about Jerry on our Heroes page, Lopa. So now let's pause and say thank you to Jerry for the gift of life. This is the Gifted Life Podcast, and that was episode 153. Yes, thank you to Sage and Kathleen for coming on and sharing how to win the Best Daughter-in-Law Award. (laughs) Right? Cool story. Oh, my gosh. And for sharing what it was like to go through the living donation process and to receive a kidney from a living donor. Yeah, that was a neat story. I'm so glad that uh, they volunteered to share so that we could all learn here on The Gifted Life. And hopefully we inspired you to register as an organ tissue eye donor. You can do that anytime, guys. Registerme.org. And visit our website, thegiftedlife.org, where you can listen to any of our episodes. You can also listen on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And if you do listen on Apple, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe so that others can find us. On social, you can like our page. Facebook is The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us, Twitter and Instagram, at Gifted Life Pod. Thanks for listening. Thanks for teaming with us. Thanks for wanting to learn more about organ tissue and eye donation. Now we ask that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Have a good one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.